Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and this episode is a continuation of a series that we started much earlier this year. And this is only like the second episode of this series where we dive into the stories of people who originally were born in other countries and immigrated to the United States and ended up making a new life in Kankakee County. And the second person to share their story with us is someone I'm very excited to have here because he's very well known in the community. And that's Alex Habib, best known probably for being the owner of Taco John's and Bradley and Bourbonnet and also uh, select Subway restaurants in Bradley and Bourbonnet. But if people don't know you from that, they know you from soccer or football. Right. right. Yeah. So you've got and and there's probably even other things that we could <laughs> dive into that people know you for because you're just a, a very generous and giving person in our community. So it's really a delight to have you here on the podcast, Alex. Well, thank you, Jake. It's very good to be here. I'm, I'm honored. Uh, I'm flattered that you asked me to be here. So. Hopefully, I won't bore you so much You today. will not bore me. Are you kidding me? I'm so excited. Um, you've always had such flattering words to say about the work I've done for you because, you know, a little behind the scenes, when I was the production director at Milner Media that owns the Valley River Country and WFAV, the production director is the person that is in charge of uh, overseeing the recording of the commercials and things like that. And a lot of times I would record several commercials, uh, voiceovers and such, and I would do a lot of commercials for your Taco John's and, and Subway. And you always had kind words to say um, anytime I've done the voice to those commercials for well, you. Well, because you flat out killed it. It was, <laughs> it was great. You did a great job and uh, you're very positive. Your your positivity just comes across through the mic, oh. through the radio. And, and I love that. So, well, thank, so you. thank you. Oh, of course. And yeah. your positivity comes out in many ways as well. Um, so where does life begin for Alex Habib? That's a that's a great question. <laughs> where are well, you Where uh, are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Lebanon, which is in the Middle East, and it's a country that's actually smaller than the smallest state here. And, really, yeah. it's that small. So yeah. what, let's see, is Rhode Island? Rhode Island yes. is the smallest. It's smallest right? It's smaller than that's that. tiny. And but forgive my geography here, or and, and I'm going to go from memory, but I think it's, if I remember right, it's about 160 kilometers long by about 60 kilometers uh, wide. But you hear about it all uh, in the news, and we made a lot of noise over the years <laughs> since uh, 
even before 2000 years ago. So well, and I mean in most recent that I can think of is that huge explosion. Yes, that, that was very happened. unfortunate, yeah. That was what 3 about 3 years ago, three yeah. 3 years ago. Yeah. I do remember that being in the news heavily and I know you got involved in fundraising yes, and yeah. making uh, efforts to send them money. Yeah, I did, and my brother in Champagne did too. And a lot of people, the American people are are some of the kindest, most generous people in the world. And we we help we as Americans we help everybody, and and we're very quick to support people and help them. And that went very well. So we're very appreciative, and the people in Lebanon were very appreciative. So yeah. So, so Lebanon is. Where, what countries is that next to in the Middle East then? Okay, so on the on the west uh, of Lebanon is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. And on the north and south of it is Syria, which you hear about in the news now. Oh, yes, a and, lot. Uh, yeah. And on the south of that is Israel. So uh, we're in the heart of the Middle East and we're surrounded by a lot of activity, <laughs> so to speak. And I was born, there's a lot of history there from uh, before Christ and a lot of history. Everybody and uh, everybody and his brother have at one point or another stepped foot in, in Lebanon and invaded it. And because it's a strategic place, it's a port uh, that connected the east and the west through the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and that's where I was born. I was born actually in the mountains of Le Lebanon, in the Shouf Mountains in 1958 in a very small town called Naba Safa, which means the pure uh, spring. And it's actually, there is a very pure spring there that the water comes out of the rocks. And if you put your hand in there for more than 30 seconds, you start feeling the freeze. That's how cold the water is. But then after two, two years after that, my parents moved to, after I was born, they moved to Beirut, which is the capital, because their work was down in, in Beirut and they didn't want to commute for an hour every day I would imagine a, an hour commute in Lebanon is nothing like an hour commute here in the United States. Right? No, it's harder. <laughs> it would be it would be much harder, especially yeah. back then. Absolutely right. Yeah. What was Lebanon like growing up in that? Because well, I guess I'm I'm not even sure how long were you in Lebanon. Were you there for quite a while? Yes, I, I was okay. there till I was 18 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, what was it like in the 60s then? In the in, 70s. In the 60s, uh, it was very peaceful. It's, it's unlike now. It's very peaceful, very low crime. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people. And uh, I'm going to refer to it. In fact, in the Bible, it talks about the cedars, how beautiful the cedars of Lebanon are, you know. And um, so it, it, very geographically beautiful. You could be on the beach swimming in the Mediterranean and within an hour be at the highest point in Lebanon snow skiing. So it was, the temperature is very moderate. It's kind of like California. Then. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So uh, very moderate climate, uh, great food, beautiful nature. Unfortunately, over the years, and we won't get into too much of the politics, unfortunately, over the years, things became um, sour over there. So in fact, the last two years, and we'll touch on that maybe later, the last two years when I was there, there was war in Lebanon. So yeah. So I think I... I Answered your question. Yes. No, yeah. you did. You, I, right. I asked what it was like in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But I guess uh, I am curious, though, what made it, uh, we don't have to go super, super deep into the politics of it, but what made it unpleasant and gave it that reputation that it has today? A lot of foreign powers there. There was uh, the turmoil between the Israelis and the Palestinians on the south, south of Lebanon. 
and a lot of Palestinian refugees end up, ended up in Lebanon. And that conflict continued between them, you know, so and Lebanon was kind of an innocent bystander, you know, a collateral damage. And then there was Syria who was interested in taking over Lebanon, which they did for a while. At some point, Russia, Iran, many foreign powers were involved in fighting their political and sometimes now recently their fights in Lebanon. So, um, and then most importantly, Jake, we have very corrupt, very corrupt officials in Lebanon, government officials, unfortunately, and there's still those old government people that have been there for a long time and just haven't relinquished power. So is it like dictator? No, it's democracy, supposedly, it's, but there's okay. a lot of corruption and I don't know how democratic it is anymore. Was so, it de- was it a democracy when you lived there yes, then yeah, at that yeah, time? Yeah, okay. and technically, technically, it's still a democracy <laughs> now, but there's very, very a lot of corruption. It is very, very complicated just to explain it. it us Lebanese, you know, the Lebanese there have a hard time understanding what's going on at some point. So, are Lebanese primarily Christian as far as it, link, or as far as uh, religion goes, or what's the religion? Half that, and half. It's half and half. Yeah, between half that and and Muslim and or? Muslim, right? Okay, yeah. and there's different, obviously, denominations of of uh, Christians and also uh, some of uh, when you might have Jewish um, Muslims. Are there any? Not a lot of Jewish. No, no. no. If you, very few. I really, I'm not. I can't answer that, but no, very few. So. Uh, Lebanese are mostly either Muslims uh, or uh, Druze, Druze Muslims, or also uh, Christians, and Christians could be. <laughs> oh, right. There's obviously, like you said, many yeah. different denominations of uh, yeah. Christianity. And the and you're born into a religion there, basically, like on your ID, at least back then. I, I'm not I sure. I mean, you're I, born into a religion here most times, too, yeah. or, or not. Or, or not, yeah. Or born, you're, depending on where your family sits. True. You know. But but it's kind of, to, to help explain it, on your ID, actually, it says what religion you are. Because, wow. Because when the Constitution, when the Lebanese Constitution was... was uh, started or put in place a long time ago after the French left, because the French were in Lebanon at some point back during World War II. When the constitution was put in place, it was the prime minister was supposed to be one religion, the president another religion, and um, a cabinet, uh, head of the cabinet was supposed to be another religion. And that way, so you represent all the people. Totally unlike the U.S., you know, there's there was no separation of state and church in, in uh, Lebanon, still not. So I would imagine so, being that they had to be from a different religion in order to have those spots, those titles, right? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it's wild. It, it's, it's wild to me that it's on your... Your ID. Yes. It's like yeah. it's such a, I mean, I guess religion is a big part of people's identity in America, but it's like a whole nother level, it seems like in some countries. Yes, absolutely. Of, as far as identity, like they take it to a whole new level as far as like it's on their government ID for crying out loud. Right, exactly. So, but you don't necessarily practice that religion or live it, that's on your ID, but many end up doing. And unfortunately, because of the turmoil over the years, some cl- uh, hung on to that prejudice or maybe dislike of the other religion, you know, or other people of other religion. While uh, there's great people, there's good people and bad people in every religion. I don't think that that's that matters. I would agree. Um, yeah. Uh, religion, I, I wouldn't call it religion, but I... Um, as far as I'm concerned, I have a very strong faith in God, you know, in, in uh, 
in Jesus Christ and, and God, but I, that actually is it. That should cause me to love others no matter what, not, yes. not hate them, because that was Jesus's message. So, so what was your childhood like then, growing up? Um, and I guess you were very young when you moved away from the Mediterranean yeah, I was coast 18. there. Yeah. Um, but then going to Beirut, which is the biggest city, right? Right. What What was life like there for you as a young kid? Yeah, I'm sorry, I was two years old when oh, I two moved years, to. Yeah, that's from, what I mean. Two. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I said that wrong, but it was actually life in Lebanon was great, and here's why: because I was blessed with the best parents ever. I had the best father and mother that I could ever wish for. We didn't have much at all, Jake. We I, we didn't have a car till I was 18 years old. Till I right before I left there, and I was a junker. We didn't have a TV until I was thirteen years. Sure, old. the car was probably you know from like the fifties or something. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we didn't have much, but we had a lot. We never felt that we didn't have much because they 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 gave us love and they taught us respect and they taught us to work hard. And we, although materially we didn't have a lot, but we have we had. I felt that we had everything. And life was great. I was a young boy, just like everybody else. M most of what I thought about and before I came here are, was girls. You know, <laughs> what do boys? What you do know, boys think about? What do yeah. boys think about? You know, yeah. and I listened to. This will interest you. The, the type of music I listened to then, where was the same that you guys listen to here. And wait, your parents listen to here. <laughs> well, yeah, I know what you mean. So yeah. you're listening to like the Beatles, Beatles BGs. Um, the Three Dog Night, um, you name them, you know, uh, Credence, uh, Clearwater Revival, yeah, oh, CCR, yeah. yeah. CCR. So just, um, yeah. And so life really wasn't maybe too different at that time from maybe the United States. I mean, uh, no, we were, for well, you. yeah, we were not as modernized or westernized, I would say, as, as. But the, you had Western music, though. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the movies, yeah. we had the same movies, but okay. we would get them probably. Maybe, and I'm going by memory, Jake. Sure. We probably get them maybe six months, you know, four months or six months after they they hit they go in the theaters here. So, and what's interesting, and maybe we'll we'll touch on that later, is we, you start viewing the United States as a kid not only through political uh, through a political uh, prism, but also through Hollywood and through the through music and movies, and. You got to remember that was before social media and internet and everything. So America was known to the rest of the world uh, through music and through the movies a lot and through the news. So, Oh, yeah, obviously through the news, because yeah. that was the news, not so social media has become the news, which is unfortunate. But yeah, that would. So it presented itself as this very green place, right? I mean, yes. is that how your family and and relatives perceived it as? Is that uh, what it looked like in Lebanon? Absolutely. It, it it was and is the promised land. And I'm going to tell you my opinion. And I think this is the greatest country in the world. And Even uh, with all of its issues that we face. Yes. even and, and I'll circle back to that in a little bit. But let me go back to my childhood. Yes, sure. we viewed the U.S., America, we would call it America at that time, uh, viewed America as the big brother or sister that would defend the poor, the mistreated, would defend those who are who need help. That's at least my my view and my family's view on 
on, on the United States. And we view it as land where you can uh, be free, then individual freedom where you're respected, where you can um, live peacefully and you have the opportunity. And we, we, we viewed it as a welcoming country too. So that's how we viewed it as far as opportunity and, and a place to go to. And obviously more advanced than any other country in the world. As far as medically, engineering, technology at that point, everything, the United States is and was the country. And there, it, was, there was, uh, it wasn't uncommon for people and kids from the, Lebanon when it was time for them to get education to either go to American University in Beirut, which is very advanced um, university, or if they wanted to study abroad, like here, as Americans, we like to study abroad and we go to Europe or places like right. this, to go to either the U.S., England, or France to study. And my family's choice was America. You know, we were partial towards America. And so 1977 is when you came to the United States. Yes. And that was for education? Yes, that was for education. So I came here to um, major in business. And obviously, most of the time, the, the plan is to go back. But that didn't work out very well. And but actually, it worked out very well, also. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, and for other reasons. For but, other reasons. But when you came here in 1977 for education, where was the education? Where were you getting your education at? I, I started at KCC, believe it or not. Really? Uh, yes, so you yeah. came directly here to Kankakee County. You didn't first go to uh, and live in one of the major cities. You came no. right here to. How did you get hooked up in Kankakee County? <laughs> that's, that's, was it through the college? KCC? Yes. No, not through KCC. But someone else? Yes. Okay. So in Beirut, close near our house, was a school, Nazarene Missionary School, Nazarene School, and actually associated with Olivet, Olivet University. So, and in that school and church was missionaries, American missionaries that worked there. And we attended occasionally the church there. And we became friends with the American missionaries. And my older brother, his name, by the way, is Habib Habib. So, no way. Yes, it is. Really? Habib Habib. Is yeah. that common in it, Lebanon? It's not. No, it's not too common. But uh, did, did it, your parents just not have another name for I, him? And they're just like, know. we'll Maybe, just call him Habib. We'll call him Habib. Maybe they, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. I always thought they liked him so much. They they named him twice. But anyway, um, so uh, he gets that a lot. But he, he kind of used Has that. he kept his name? He oh, never, absolutely. He's never oh, changed oh, it. Oh, never changed okay. it. Actually, he gets... Uh, how could you forget Habib Habib, you know? Well, that's true. So, yeah. yeah. But um, still, that's funny. Yeah, it is. Well, actually, it's not too strange because there's, uh, you know, Billy Williams... Technically, it's William William, you know. Is it really? Uh, yeah, Billy okay. Williams, because Billy is a, so. Occasionally, you see that, but here, but it's it's a changed word. But yeah, it's not very common. I don't know the reason. I, my, <laughs> my mom. And That's dad. a whole another episode. Yes. That's a whole another episode of Kankakee Podcast. Uh, finding out why Habib is Habib Habib. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> the beloved lover because Habib in in Lebanese or in Arabic, either way, same thing, same language. Is could be translated as beloved or lover, 
you know, or loved. So, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, so that you became friends with some of the American... Americans, ma- yes. Do you remember who the their names were? It was one of them was Mr. Lunsford. I remember that. And I can't remember the others, honestly. That was, we're talking like 40, 50 we're years talking ago. a long 50, time ago. 50, yeah. And he was associated with Olivet Nazarene uh, University? With Olivet. In one way, yes. And indirectly, yes, he was. Okay. And then um, we became friends. Four years before I came here, they found out that my brother was uh, going to come here to go to school and be a, uh, uh, for pre-dentistry. And they said, hey, why don't you go? We know it, we have a small college. Olivet was a college at that point. And uh, they said, why don't you go to Olivet and start there? Go for two years, and then you can transfer to a big university for your uh, medical uh, uh, to pursue pr- uh, pre-dentistry. And this would have been in the 70s. Early right. 70s, yeah. right. Uh, 73, 74, I'm thinking, Jake, I don't know. But anyway, we thought it was a good idea. He didn't come here into a small environment. Uh, he was 17, by the way, when he came here, just by himself. So, and And then transfer, get used to the culture and everything in a Christian environment, and then he can use to move to a bigger uh, university. Uh, so that idea was good. So he did. And three years, four years later, when I when it was time for me to come here, we thought, well, I'll come here and do the same thing, except we couldn't afford all of that for the first two years. And by that time, he, he kind of knew his way around here. And he said, how about a, a community college for the first two years? And then you can finish. So he knew else. about Kankakee Community he College. He knew the then. trick then, right. And to me... I did not care whether it was a community college or university. You just wanted to come to America. I wanted to be here, baby. I wanted to get off the boat and check out America. So I wanted the promised land. I mean, think about that. 18 years old from Lebanon, and you get to go to America. You get to go with all these... um, I can feel that that excitement right now that you must have had. Yes. And you know, sometimes, Jake, I kind of... You forget that occasionally and you forget the feeling. But when I really look back at it and as we talk about it now, I start getting goosebumps because I really have to pinch myself to remember that feeling. Think about this. If you're like 25 or 20 here, not even 18, and you get to go to Europe to a place that you've never been to before, how excited will you be? Oh, absolutely. Through the roof excited. Right. And now we're talking about somebody from Lebanon in 1977 coming to the U.S., Okay. And so it it was an amazing, exciting feeling. Actually, going to explain all of that and write it out in a book that I'm planning to do at some point. I've been asked to do that. Yes. You should. And and share that experience. I want it to be motivating. I want it to be patriotic. I want it to to be uh, inspiring and just share the experience. Nothing to pat myself on the back for, but obviously for people. Like you are interested in knowing what's it like for somebody to come from outside the country and come here. Exactly, because we have no idea what that's like unless we've done it ourselves and gone to another country and gone through that whole different process. But even then, it would be a little different because it's not America. It would be a different country. Right. You know, so um, obviously... Not every country is like America. No, so. no. Now, I'm curious, though, in 1977, when you were coming here, was Lebanon still in a good place or were things starting to churn up a little bit? No, things it was start- not in a good place. Okay. Uh, because in 1975, war started then. 
And uh, so that was my last two years there. There was war going on and there was fighting in the streets. There was a lot of shelling. A lot of times we um, end up having to go to a shelter. So it wasn't a good thing. And my plan was to come to the U.S. at some point anyway, but then that, re that really uh, reinforced the decision that yes, go continue your education in, in the U.S., not in Lebanon. So uh, in, in 77, the war stopped for a little bit. That was, uh, got my student visa, did, uh, got all the papers done and, uh, and left. So, so yes, the last two years to answer your question in Lebanon was not good, and uh, I'm glad that I got out of there. But then after I got here, a couple of months later, the war, you know, all hell literally broke loose again for, for another 15 years so or 13 years. So. so when you did come here and you were starting at Kankakee Community College, were you staying with a family then? Was there a family that, or were you on your own? No, it was only my brother. Oh, right. Your here. brother was here. I keep yeah. forgetting that. That so, was my only, it was just my brother and I. So was he in the Kankakee area yeah. at that time or was he down in Champaign at no, that he point? No, was, he was here in Bourbonnais okay. and he was working at Arby's and uh, the Arby's that's now Popeye's Chicken on Kennedy. They drive across from Taco John's. Okay. Huh. So he was an assistant manager <laughs> there. Yeah. That was, I think, before you were born, maybe. The, no. Oh, no, that, that yeah, that would have been before I was born because yeah. I don't ever remember Arby's being there when I was alive. Yeah. There was only one Arby's in town. And he was the assistant manager yeah. there. Yeah, because by the time I was born, the only Arby's in town was right there on North Street, yeah. I think. Yeah, they had, they had moved there. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, what was the question? There's a, oh, I was just there's a lot so, to my story. There, so. There's so much. So, so when you came over here, you're staying with your brother, right? Which must have been. I mean, that must have been so nice because a lot of times, yeah, you're probably at the mercy of having to find somewhere to live or have like a family sponsor you or something yes. along those lines. Yeah, God, God blessed me with an awesome brother, and we get along very well. We're, we're a very close family. And it was very hard for my man, mom and dad actually to let go, especially during turmoils in Lebanon, oh, to come yeah. here. But but they understood. They were very pragmatic, knowing that it's better for for better him, future, better future for for me to come here. And nobody knew at that time, though, that the war is going to continue for that long. But also, my brother welcomed the idea of me being here because uh, at that point he was also anxious and worried about what's going on in Lebanon. So we got along very well, and we lived together for a while. You know, we were both single and young, and uh, yeah. Did you during feel disco days? So. <laughs> right. Did you feel very welcomed? here in the area or because you know as we talked about when you came here in 1977 we were talking about this off mic there wasn't as much diversity in the area as there is today so i'm just kind of curious how you were welcomed or into the area i've never felt unwelcome this is i'm telling you jake i feel i love this country my brother feels the same way we we as americans now i say we I mean, Americans are, are very welcoming, very kind, very loving. Are we all perfect? No, there's there's evil people everywhere, you know, in, in every kind of country or every religion or every color, it doesn't matter. And there's great people too. But as a whole, we're a great country. And I've never felt unwelcomed. And even though I came here in 1977, and at that time, not many people here, at least in this county, very rural, 
knew where Lebanon was. They they looked at me and you know I was dark and uh, darker and, and darker skin and and uh, so they probably uh, thought you were Mexican uh, or Greek, something. mostly or Greek. Greek because oh, okay. there was a lot of Greek here. You know, uh, yes, there was yeah. and still is. Yeah. yeah, still is. So Greek or Italian or when they start when after I started working at Taco John's, and we'll, we'll probably get to that later. <laughs> they thought I was Taco John's. There was very few restaurants. It, it didn't look like a franchise, and they thought that I was a Mexican. And my name was John, and I opened that taco <laughs> joint. So, <laughs> so of course, of um, course. Hey, I'm like a cat. You throw me anywhere, and I'll end up on my feet, right? So, um, I'll be whatever you want me to be. Exactly. You want me to be Mexican? I'll be Mexican. I'll be Mexican. <laughs> I'm, I, I get along with anyone. If you're a good yeah. person, and uh, I'll get along with you. It doesn't matter where you are or where you're from. Um, and, and to add to that. Uh, if you remember the Iran, or you read about the news, the Iran hostage crisis, that was in the late 1970s, and that was when they took ho- American hostages. So, and rightfully so, there was a big resentment by the American people towards Iranians. And what's and at that point, when people didn't know, many people, I shouldn't say all people, but some people didn't know whether what's the difference between Iran and Lebanon, and you're from Middle East, you're from Middle East, you're right? You're right. But in spite of all of that, I'm saying all that to get to this. In spite of all of that, I have never felt unwelcomed in this country at all, zero. On the other hand, I used my accent, me being different to my advantage. I never had a chip on my shoulder or, or, or something or felt, no. I had confidence and, and there's a source for that confidence that we can talk about later, but I've, I've never felt unwelcome, zero times, even though... Um, it, the hostage, the hostage crisis, crisis was or things going like on. this, and it wasn't Lebanon, but people didn't know, couldn't, yeah, you couldn't tell. Um, so I'm going to go circle back to that comment I said about my message that I give to everybody. Yes, you know, that I'd like to say is that Please. if if you're an American and you look, we're not perfect right now. We're not. We have a lot of issues. We got some issues with uh, law, with um, crime. We got some corrupt things going on, and uh, nobody is perfect, but we're still great. And if you come here, no, if you're an American and you live here, you're born here, appreciate it. Okay, appreciate it. And if you come here from a different country, I don't care what country you are, if you work hard, if you're honest, if you treat people right, if you're grateful for what you have and you give back, these five principles, if you, if you adhere to them, you cannot fail. You will be successful. And when I say successful, I don't necessarily mean rich. To me, my opinion is successful is having respect, having honor, having inner peace and joy, and being able to go to bed at night and put your head on the pillow and feel good about your life. And if you end up, if you can do that and also make some money and live comfortably, that's great. I like to have both, you know. Yeah, but, it's nice yeah, to have both. Nice isn't to have it? both. Yeah. But but success and material material things, in my opinion, are totally different. Money can bring you comfort and convenience. Okay, not happiness. The happiness is from the inside. Is I think from those fa- five values that I've that I've mentioned to you. So, so come here and appreciate what this country is is, is allowing you to do. So, it's like you coming into my house and being my guest for dinner, and I let you roam around in my house and and sleep and live. And you better appreciate what I'm letting you do, right? And that's how me, as a person who was born in Lebanon and came here, feel towards the U.S. So, yeah. So when you started 
at Kankakee Community College. Did you do your two years there and transfer somewhere else, or did you end up going straight to the Taco John's business? That's I mean, another long story. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, because I'm curious, because you mentioned Taco John's 1978, and I'm like, oh, well, that uh, doesn't sound like you didn't really yeah, do much I, more. No, so, I didn't. I never fin- finished college. I, okay. I, uh, I went there for a year and a half, and, and there's a reason for that. That was not my aim. Uh, the, the war started back in Lebanon, like I mentioned. And I, after th- two or three months of me being adjust, uh, adjusting here to the culture and getting situated and things like this, my brother and I used to go down to Taco John's. It was a little shack back then, south of where Taco John's on Kennedy Drive is now. It was a little building before we knocked it over. So where was it at then? Was it, is, it was, is it standing where it is today or was it further? It, it, it was on the, in the parking lot right next to the new the new building, and that right uh-huh. next to the existing building now. Okay. So where Laconi's Pizza is now in Taco John's, yeah. the old Taco John's was in between those two buildings. Okay. And it looked like what Laconi's building looks like today. It was very tiny. Very tiny. And we used to go there and eat. We'd get some tacos with super hot sauce and sit there and eat. And we got to know the, 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 the cashiers there, the girls. And when they found out that I was looking for a job, um, you know, I'm situated and I needed definitely a job. Uh, because also war was going on in Lebanon. There was not going to be any money coming from Lebanon because my parents were not working. Uh, You couldn't work during the war and they were not getting paid. So they gave me an application and I filled it out. And uh, on the the application, it says, what's your favorite? uh, You could ask anything back then. It didn't matter. You didn't didn't get sued (laughs) on applications. (laughs) So there was no political correctness. Uh, What's your favorite TV show? Mine, I I, I looked at it the other day, Starsky and Hutch. The old old Starsky and Hutch. Hutch, Um, So I got the applications and, and got the job. And started working there at Taco John's, and uh, that was back in 1977, September of 77. I got to learn, you know, many things, and and I was still new here. I I, I knew English. Actually, my mom was an English teacher among many things in Lebanon. Oh, many so th- you yeah. were you yeah. were already except you, you don't think in that language. I still thought in Arabic and Lebanese, you know. So when I came here, and then you weren't used to the slang. That, that too, you're like, what? Yeah, say so that like, again. Exactly. What so, does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. So, so like for example, simple example. There's many of these, but like if you. If you, when I first came here, if you said, what are you up to? I literally looked up, you know, because you take that, because when you're learning English in Lebanon, a foreign language, they don't teach you, what are you up to? You know? Yeah. They don't teach you that. Slang. Right. Yeah. So that's a silly example, but. Um, well, that's true. Yeah. You're like, what am I up to? Uh, I'm five, 10. Right. And you five. know, you, that's exactly right. You, st- <laughs> you start learning a lot of that by watching TV, by the way. You know, so so when I had a chance, I watched Happy Days. I watched the Cubs on WGN. It was available during the day. Jack Brickhouse, you know. You learn a lot of these things when you, you kind of get immersed in it. In the pop culture. Exactly. Through through that. It's different than learning it in school. So, so were you still, were you doing, working at Taco John's and going to KCC? Or was that like? When you were no, that was that was uh, the, I was working at Taco John's, going to KCC, 
And then... Did you just do a semester or did you I do did, a full year? Or? I did a full year. Okay. Yeah. And then, but I ended up dropping some classes. Here's why. Because I started working a lot. I was working 60 and 70 hours a week. Because you were sending, I'm guessing you were sending money back to your parents? At some point I did, yes. Okay. So, and started working 60, 70 hours a week and I just couldn't, couldn't do it. And then if you think about this, there was no tomorrow at that point. It was like, we, you have to survive. And it was my brother and I had to survive. We had to work. We had to do some income. And we have to figure out a way to help our parents and maybe at some point even bring them here. So there was no hope. And, and you got to remember also that in 1977 through 1980, those years, there was no internet. The phone, we could not afford to, to, afford to call them. When there were lines available, because when there's war inside the country- you know, Things are being destroyed. Destroyed, exactly. When there, was lines, when there were lines available, phone lines, all we were able to do is call them and say, we're fine, love you, are you fine, love you, hung up. And that was about $25, $30. $25, then is- That's a is, lot of money. It's a lot of money. There's no texts, no internet, no- email. And then when we send a letter, we did that a lot. You, you probably send sent three it to, to three to four weeks to get there if it got there. And w w would you be able to send it to their address though, or would you have to send it to just directly to the post office or? Send it to their address. You did I, send it to their address. But again, okay. many letters never made it. Yeah. And, then, and some took four to five weeks. So, because of the war, I'm sure. Right. So to us here now, and to, uh, to me and my brother here in, in the States, we were like, we just need to survive and we need to work. So I can't imagine the anxiety. Yeah. Of no, be just for what you just said living in that time where technology isn't what it is today, you can't just easily text your mom and dad like you could if they were, you know, here and alive today. I mean, you're thinking about, man, I, I hope they're okay. Yes. I hope they're okay. I hope they have not been wiped blown out up. by, yeah, blown up by a bomb or a, got shot or something. You're just sitting there doing your job, hoping that they get this money that you're going to send to them. Right. Yeah. So I had to drop out of KCC and uh, because I kept, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what, how I did not finish uh, KCC, but I don't. And if you're a young person listening to this podcast, listening to my story, I, I do not at all promote not going to college. I just could not could not, you had a uh, very unique situation. Yeah. And uh, actually, my wife and I, one of our goals, life goals was, is that we wanted to make sure that all four of our children went to college. And that was my aim. And thank God, we were able to get them all through through college. So, um, And then they went on actually on their own and got their uh, graduate degrees, uh, three out of the four of them. Wow. That. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. On their own, right. So I said that to say that that would not be my message, is you can succeed without college. Yes, but Give yourself options. Yeah. So but, so you start just working so much at Taco John's. And who was the, the owner at that time? Is that how you ended up becoming owner yourself? You were just chummy with the owner at that time? Yeah. So um, the I got hired there and then I worked hard. And, 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 you know, I was in this situation. I thought this is really my only choice right now. 
So I'm going to make the best out of it and I'm going to work hard and I'm getting paid. So I'm going to work hard. So I worked hard. I, I treated the customers great. And then I got promoted. I got promoted to a shift leader, shift <laughs> manager. And at that time, you only were like, can supervise only one other person because sales, you know, we were, we were very low volume store at that time. Sure. Know? Yeah. You, so, there wasn't a ton of employees. Right. Right. And then got promoted to an assistant manager. I was working in a very uh, good, good person now and uh, who gave me the opportunity and, and I became his assistant manager. So two years later, the war stopped in Lebanon and my parents were able to come here to visit because we, you know, uh, in 79 and they needed to come and see how we're doing. And they were, it was a chance for them to get out of that hell situation. Yeah. So they come here for a week and I take a week off. Sorry, let me, I'll, I'll come back to this, <laughs> but I want to answer your question. The owner, no, of, the owner of Taco John's was from South Dakota, a great gentleman. His name is Bob Steele. And, and he ended up, uh, I ended up becoming his partner later and bought him out. Was he the originator or was he just happened to be an owner of that particular franchise? No, here he, he is an owner of that particular franchise. Okay. And um, he opened that store in 76, one year before I started working there. And he had the gentleman uh, from up north from the Dakotas come here and manage it. And that's who I became that. So I became uh, that manager's assistant, you know, working for him. And I had met Bob Steele uh, the owner of ta that, this franchise during one of his visits. And actually we were, one day I showed up to work and the manager and the employees, they were saying, Alex, you know, we, we need to, we need to clean the place up. We need to clean the place up. The, the owner is coming from South Dakota. And that was like, I was there for, uh, for about three months. I was only an employee there then. And so I'm like, oh, good. I get to meet this business, this great business, American businessman who owns restaurants in other states also in the Dakotas. And I just want to meet him. I want to impress him. So, And at this time, I mean, if you think about it, Taco John's, the, the franchise itself wasn't even 10 years old yet. Oh, right? yeah. And yeah, yeah. It was, because it was 1969 was when exactly, it originated. Exactly. So, so there's very few Taco John's and he's one of the first few franchisees. So, and, and I met him at that point. Okay. Okay, and he came in and I met him. So now going back to working hard and got promoted an assistant manager. And then my parent, the war stopped in, in Lebanon. My parents came and I took a week off to spend it with them. That was the first time I, I actually take days off. And then I spend it with them and then they go back. And when I come back, the manager, not the owner, not Bob Steele, the manager of Taco John's had hired somebody who is going to Olivet, an Olivet student. And he said, Alex, we need more help here. So I want you to train her. So I trained her really well and got her going. And she was an attractive lady. You know, she's kind of nice. And he fires me. What? Yes. No. Yes. So why did he fire you? What did you do? Did you eat one too many tacos on your break or something? <laughs> he fired me. And without, without getting into too much of that, okay. him and I, at some point, at one point, you know, I had been there now for two years. Okay. This was 79 and I had been there two years. I'm an assistant manager. And we started, we kind of challenged on some things and we didn't see eye to eye on some things. And without getting into too much of that, I trained my I, I trained my replacement basically, so he wow. had me train my replacement. So he he fired me, and uh, so I'm gone for about 
a, a month and a half from uh, looking for a job. There wasn't a lot of opportunities here. And remember, at that point in 79, 80, we, there was a big recession. Kankakee County yes, was in, in that's, terrible. That was right around the late 70s was the start of all the closing or the layoffs. Uh, of, Roper, A.O. Smith. Yeah, they places. were all laying right. off and closing up. So so anyway, I was looking for a job. And then I, the owner, remember Bob Steele, okay. the owner, comes back and- He wonders where you are. Wonders where I'm at. There was issues going on between him and the manager, and the manager is gone, and he and Bob hires me back. Bob, yeah. So the the as ownership a, as, as the manager? store manager as the store manager. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm hired back as the store manager, and the reason he did this. Now going back to circling back to when I said I met Bob Steele once when he came to check on the store when I was there only for three months, he said. Alex, I remember when I came to visit your store and I walk in and I'm shaking hands with everybody. I had forgotten that. I didn't didn't really pay attention or gave it another thought. He said, I, I walked up to you and he said, you shook hands with me. You, Alex, shook hands with me. And you said, if I was the owner of Stocko John's, I wouldn't be driving that little car. I, car, I would be driving a big old Cadillac. Apparently I said that. You so, said that? Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and, and what happened is he reminded me that he flew to O'Hare and he rented a very little car and drove in. And I was, at that time, I was like almost 20, Jake. I'm in America. I'm meeting a big businessman, you know, simple mind. I'm simple mind. I'm thinking, well, he should pull up in like a, a, an awesome car. Yeah, you you're know? expecting a big, awesome car or a limo. or Exactly, because I'm going to be like him. And I've just spent the whole day cleaning this store to show up. And he's filled up in this small <laughs> You're in this tiny little car? What the heck, man? Yeah. So he said to me, he says, when I told him that, uh, he, he recognized something in me, you know, just my boldness and my ambition. So anyway, he hired me back and I became a manager. I mean, he made me the manager and he was an, I learned a lot from him, actually. What, what my parents taught me, he reinforced. So, so I've been blessed with great people. God surrounded me with great people all my life, you know. My parents, my brother, Bob, uh, the owner of Taco John's at that time. And he said, Alex, if you stay with me and you help me build more stores. He was a silent partner. He lived in, in South Dakota. You help me build more stores. And at some point, I'll give you the opportunity to become my partner, to buy into it. And that's- you have to excuse me. Is South Dakota where it started? The no. first one? No. It, in, in Cheyenne, Wyoming was the first one. Wyoming. Yeah. Okay. But, but I knew it was yeah. somewhere not too far from- Exactly. It right. And that's west. how, that's because it was very small. That's how it grew. It grew in and out for, away from Cheyenne. And, and I did. And we- I worked very hard for him, worked very honest. Uh, he, he gave me as much rope as I wanted. And fortunately, I didn't hang myself with it, you know, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want somebody looking over my shoulder. Uh, I wanted to take ownership of the place. And so we became uh, actually really good friends. And he would come and visit the store once or twice a year, but just really to take me out to a steak dinner or something at that point when I worked for him. And when the opportunity came, I, I believe it was 1996, I was trying to remember that today. I bought half of his company. At that point, he owned, he, he was the owner along with his dad and another partner, but we bought them out. So I bought, I became 50-50 partners with him in 1996. And since then I bought him out. 
So that bold comment I made to him, I guess, about his car <laughs> resonated. You made an impression. Right. So, yeah. So now, uh, you know that lady that Yes, so is that to, your to, is that your wife? That's that, my wife. Now. Oh no, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> knew, I gave it away. Yeah, so, I, I just, when I said attractive lady, you I said attractive lady. Darn I thought, it. huh? I'm like, yeah. Is this gonna be his wife? So, so Jake, so I come Gosh, to America. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I come to America. Taco John's is the only job I ever had. Got fired from. Got hired back. <laughs> ended up owning the company and marrying my replacement. So. Don't mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with me, man. You might be able to get me for one second, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to stamp you out. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's wow. So when you, so you have a stake in more than just the two stores locally then in Taco John's, right? Or no, no, it's just those, those two and the three subways. Yes. Okay. Uh, wasn't sure as a whole, like who owns the Taco John's company as a whole. Okay. Right. So when I, when I bought the 50% and bought, then bought him out, it's just a franchise, franchise, the restaurants that he owned and that I basically, I opened with, you know, with his backing here in town, in Bradley okay. and Bourbonnais. He owned other stores in other uh, towns. Now, to, to answer your question, obviously, uh, Subway Subway uh, is all franchised restaurants. They, they, there's 22,000 or more in the States and, uh, alone, and none of them are company-owned anymore. They're all franchisee-owned, just like I am. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, okay. but I own these three here. Mm -hmm. uh, Taco John's is, the, the Taco John's corporate owns five or six, I believe now, in the uh, Wyoming area, but the rest are also franchised restaurants. They're all owned by franchisees. Some own one, some own many. I happen to own these two here in town. Okay. So, yeah. And then in 96, when was the one open at Northfield Square? Was it open at that time we or, or yes. shortly after that? No, we, we opened that. I remember that very, uh, very vividly because we opened that when the mall opened in August 1st of 1990. Yep. August 1st of 1990. I got to make sure my date's here. I yes. was just a few months old at that point. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually in August 3rd of 1990, three days later, I was went to Champagne and came back and there were American little American flags on the counter at the mall. And that's because I went down there to Champagne with my wife. And at that point, our first son, one-year-old son, Jake. Jacob. Oh, Jake. I didn't yeah, know there you had go. a Jacob. There you go. So All right. yeah, we got All a lot right. of things in common we here, do. Jake. Yeah. <laughs> and I was naturalized that day. Okay. And, and you, see the big, you see the big smile on my face because that yes. was an amazing feeling. So um, in 1990... We got sworn in as as my brother and I as as American citizens, and that is an amazing feeling. We went down to Champagne and uh, Danville, I believe. Sorry, when I stood up, and I was naturalized, and then you say the Pledge of Allegiance, and uh, that was that was just an amazing feeling, Jake. I, as an American, I don't know if if I can explain it to the average American what kind of feeling it is for somebody from another country to come here and be naturalized, and then after that. You apply for the passport and you get that and that you hold it with pride. I, I hold it with pride. So so that was an amazing feeling. It's just something that someone as a natural born citizen in America, we take for granted because yeah. we didn't have to 
work for it, like you and your brother, for example, and all the other hardworking immigrants that have come to this country and made it better. I mean, (laughs) I'm just still thinking how funny it is how you got fired from taco john's and then you ended up being the man of taco john's and Bradley and bourbon a and i mean since then i don't know have you kept track of how many different fundraisers that all the different money you've fundraised for all the different organizations over the years between subway and taco john's because you're always doing the crunch for a cause things but that doesn't even cover all the other fundraisers you've done yeah we, we've done you know? a lot and yeah. uh, I, I honestly know i haven't uh i we enjoy i've been asked that before and i mean can i go back and look it up yes it take a lot of time <laughs> take a lot of time and i just enjoy the satisfaction that we get out of giving back and actually, my teams work very hard during those fundraisers because we get a lot of people in. And unfortunately, COVID, uh, th- that decreased during COVID because people were leery about going out and, and doing that so yep. and participating. But now we're starting back again. So I do want to encourage if, if, if somebody out there is, is an organization um, is looking for to to uh, to fund uh, for to raise money for a good cause that we're willing to help at Subway or Taco John's. We give back fifty percent of what is raised during that evening to that organization, and uh, that's very generous. Yes, well, and and remember my values. You know, going back to our values, that's the value of my company. You know, work hard, be honest, treat people right, be grateful for what you have, and give back. And uh, the, this community in this country have been great. So that's one way of of giving back. So. To answer your question, no, I have not kept. <laughs> um, kept. Um, I'm trying to think of where we go from here. So, you know, you, what was 96 that you officially bought out Bob uh, Steele mm-hmm. and everything to be the the official owner of the Taco John's restaurants here. Where does, was Subway in the picture at that point? Yes, it was. It was. How did, how did Subway become a thing for you? So, yeah. So uh, in 19... Uh, 89, we only had the one Taco John's on Kennedy Drive, okay? We had had the one Taco John's, 1989. And then in 1989, the opportunity came, Subway was a hot franchise at that point. And uh, Bob and I were looking into that. We said, well, what can we do? You know, what can we do besides Taco John's? Uh, We'd like to do some more. Uh, This restaurant business is working out good. We like the community. Bob and I, we said, let's open a Subway because it's a hot franchise. It it, it was uh, reasonable to get into to start. And we opened that Subway in 1989. on Main Street next to next to the bank right now, PNC Bank, next to Bradley Bourbon High School. Oh, okay. okay. So that was our first subway in 1989. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Or that would have been, uh, well, it's Midland State Bank today, right? Is Is it, oh, yes, yes. No, it, or, it's uh, Midland. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, and then in 1990, in, we opened that in 89. In June of 1990, we opened Subway Kinsey Avenue on the, on the opposite, corner of Kinsey and Armour Road. Armour Road, yes. Yes. And that's still there, obviously. And then in August of that same year, we opened Taco John's in the mall. So that was three. Oh, wow. Three, that was Holy like moly, within, that was, within 12 months of You probably other. don't remember much from that year. I, I do not. <laughs> and, and, we, and then I had my first 
we had our first son then, Jacob. And yeah. so that was a very busy time also. But thank God I never let all my hard work, I never let that get in the way of being, me being a father because to me, that's the great, that's the most important thing that I do. So uh, family is the most important thing, uh, God and family. But um, yeah. So, and and then in, 19, in 2000, we opened the Taco John's on Latham Drive. And then in, nine, in 2008, we opened the subway on Convent Street. I do remember that. Yeah. And that newer, well, it's, it's newer to me, I guess, because right. it wasn't no. there when I was a kid. No, you're that's right. Strip it is, mall. Relatively yeah. speaking, it is newer. Yeah. yeah. So um, so that's how we end up with the three subways and the two Taco John's. Right. Yeah. And then uh, you did have the subway in Walmart. Yes. In the Bourbonnet or the, yeah, Bourbonnet Bradley Walmart. Right. Yeah. yeah. We, we started in the old Walmart and when they moved, we moved with them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then our lease was up a couple of years ago and... We were just breaking even there. Walmart, you know, we, if you came to Subway, if you came to Walmart, and and then with the competition, they opened another Walmart. Myers opened, so they clo- they don't have cashiers there, so the number of employees went down. So we were just breaking even. I, I didn't want to tie up my resources, so we didn't renew the lease there, and that was that worked out fine. You know, works out very good. It was time to to I I didn't want to just you know be there to be there. So uh, yeah. If my memory serves me correctly, I could be wrong on this, and you'll obviously tell me. Aren't you the creator of the potato ole at Taco John's? Uh, I'm the creator of the meat and potato burrito. Meat and potato, potato burrito. burrito. Okay, right. I had it wrong, but I knew it was somewhere in there. So yeah, you're the creator of the meat and potato burrito, which is my favorite. It's the breakfast version, by the way. Oh, well, thank uh, you. The It's one of my all-time favorite breakfast burritos is from Taco John's, the meat and potato breakfast burrito, particularly bacon. Um, <laughs> so you were the creator behind that. And yes. now that's in all the, the, the stores. That's in all the stores, and that's became uh, the R&D department there as uh, many variations of that. So it didn't start out. It started as a meat and potato burrito and then became added chicken and potato burrito and then crunchy chicken and steak and potato burrito. And then we made a, a breakfast version of it, the one that you like with yeah. either sausage or, or bacon. And I, that became one of our best sellers. And what's, what's funny about that is um, uh, my, my wife tells me this. She says, oh, Alex, you know, you like to break rules as long as they're not yours. You don't want your, <laughs> your, your rules to be broken, but you like, you like to break other rules. And I say, and your point. <laughs> so, but so, so this the, was a rule that you broke? I did. And taco, so what's the Taco John's rule, rule that you broke? Well, you don't, make up, you don't make up your own menus at any franchise, your own items, and you sell them. You know, you go by the menu. But back in the early 90s, we, there was a period at Taco John's that they weren't doing anything uh, exciting. And I'm just sitting here thinking, well, my customers need something exciting. And, and I was sitting at the office. They, they need, we need something to boost the sales back in the early 90s. And I, I was not going to, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to get out. Of, I don't get out of bed in the morning to wait. Anything yeah. so because you're up against Taco Bell, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, and anybody, you know, if, if well, that's true, yeah, yeah. if you go get bologna, bologna from or anything from a grocery store and make your own sandwich, that's my competition. That means that's a meal you could have had at our restaurant. That's the way you think. You have to think competitively. So I was sitting at the office. I said, "What can I do? What can I do?" And then I thought, "Hmm." I started kind of tasting it in my mouth, and I thought, you know. Taco meat with potato oleus, crispy, and then you put the nacho cheese on it. You put lettuce, tomatoes, olives, and at that point, onions, and you put it in that flour. Too. I'm going to go down to Taco John's. I'm going to make it. And then they left the office, went to Taco John's, and I made it. I'm like, whoa, 
this is good. So I had everybody in the staff try it and they were just freaking out. So I didn't call Taco John's the corporate at that time. You I, just started doing it? I, I had I had a local guy make the biggest paper signs on it, meat and potato burrito. And I said, what am I going to call it? I said, this is America. We're in the Midwest. Meat and potato. potato yeah. yeah, you nailed it. Uh, yeah. And it was meat, apostrophe N, potato burrito, not the ampersand or and. And we put it up, 99 cents, and we couldn't just keep enough of it. And uh, so, um, and then Taco John's heard about that and they heard how much I'm selling. So they sent their chef down here so we can show the chef what's going on. And then he goes back and then they incorporated and, and all the restaurants actually end up getting a nice crystal for it. <laughs> crystal, <laughs> crystal yeah. Award. And, yeah. and you uh, got an award yourself too. I think for your achievement with that, right? Yeah, that was a national leadership award. I, so instead of getting really in trouble for my rebellion at that time, <laughs> I ended up, that was a great honor by the way, because uh, I did not have any idea. We were at a convention and, and they they award me the national leadership award. And there was so many people in that room that been franchisees longer than I have and deserve it just as much, if not more than I did, but that was a great honor. And, um, but you may, yeah, and then, Couple, three years later, three three years ago, actually, I got the, I think that what you're referring to, the Mr. Taco Award, which is- That's maybe the one I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. That was about three years ago. So um, yeah, I got a nice red jacket, kind of like a Hall of Fame thing. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if it was because I'm getting old <laughs> or because uh, I deserve You don't it. look it, man. You yeah. look great. Oh, thank you. I don't feel it. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so- uh, yeah. So then, no, what was your mindset if if they were going to come to if the like Taco John headquarters or whoever it is that's head honcho with overseeing every Taco John's franchise? What were you going to do if they were like, "Hey, cut that out"? What What was your? Did you have a plan in place, or are you just like, "I'm just going to do this"? And... I probably thought I would charm them and convince them, you know, and show them. Uh, well, and I, I mean, it looks like you did. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. did you make any other? Was that the only thing you kind of came up with? No, that was the only thing at that okay. point. But then I ended up being. I served on several committees at Wataka Johns on the, actually a menu committee and worked with their chef. And yeah, they're like, to, "This guy knows something." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Together we developed some, you know, but but it's not. I did not create. The potato ole. It was yeah, the yeah, meat and, and potato yes. burrito. Yeah. Okay. We use the potato ole in that burrito, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's like the greatest combination ever created. And the fact that you thought, hmm, we're in the Midwest, meat and potatoes. That's like it. that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's yeah. Exactly. You nailed it and you knew people would come flocking to it. Yeah. So, and one thing we haven't even touched on yet has nothing to do with Taco John's or Subway is soccer yeah. or football, mm -hmm. depending on where you're from in the world. And you started teaching, or were you into soccer when you were in Lebanon? For or Le where, where did your your love for football, soccer come into to play? Did it start then or did it come into play when you were in the United States? Well, it started briefly then because of what was going on. And I'll explain briefly. 
soccer, obviously, or football is is very popular, most popular sport in the world, except the United States. <laughs> right. you know, it, it, it's getting more popular here. Right? It is so, finally yeah. starting to take steam, and I've been thinking, finally, because yeah. that's the only sport that I thoroughly enjoyed as a kid, yeah. soccer. Oh, really? You played yeah. it? Yeah. My, oh, okay. my brothers and I, we all played it, and that was, I feel like, the only sport that I actually was somewhat good at okay. at the time. But yeah, so Lebanon, yeah. I mean, as, as you mentioned, it's the biggest sport, sport in the world. In the world. So it was popular. I played it in high school then, but but limited because the last two years in high school, there was war. So sports were the last- Out so the I, window. Uh, yeah. So I lost that pleasure, you know, and actually the principal of my school, we went to a private school there. Our uh, principal was Colin White from England and uh, he can play soccer. He, he was- he was really good, our principal. So anyway, I did in the last two years so that I got robbed of that. And then when I came here, obviously, that's that, that, there was no soccer at KCC and then the war started again. So sports were not there, you know, not on my mind. And then started working, worked really hard and then started having, got married to Lisa, my wonderful wife, and started having kids. And I started playing indoor and, and, and on outdoor leagues with a bunch of friends that I met here, okay? And they knew I had a little background. So I started playing and reignited my love for soccer. Actually, I had a chance to reignite my love for soccer because of all the distractions and just the busy life. So started playing again. And then when my kids were old enough to play dynamo soccer, the Bradley Brobeni High School coach at that point, uh, John Glendening, really nice guy, was holding a camp. And I took uh, my kids to his camp and while we were getting ready to start and I was kicking the ball back and forth with my son, with Luke, my son. And I get a call before the camp started. So I, later that evening, I get a call from John Glendening. That was back in 1989. I was minding my own business. And he said, Alex, um, you know, my wife, Sherry, I know you about you because my wife, Sherry, worked for you at Taco John's when she was in high school. I said, oh, okay, hi, yeah, it's Sherry Andrews. She's a wonderful girl. She was fantastic. And he says, you know what? I watched you kick the ball with your son. Did you played before? Do you know soccer? I said, well, just a little bit. He says, well, we're looking for a freshman coach at Bradley Bourbonnet High School. Bourbonnet High School, that was in 1989. Are you, do you want a coach? And I'm like, let me think about it. <laughs> That's know? probably something that never crossed your mind. Never crossed my point. mind. Yeah. I have at that point I have four children. They're all young. I have these restaurants to run. And I'm playing soccer a little bit. And I love the game. And I thought about it. And, and I talked to my wife and she said, well, Yeah, go do it. You love it. So I started there as a freshman coach. The next year I became the sophomore coach at opportunity because coaches were leaving. So for different reasons. And became the sophomore coach and then became the assistant varsity coach and then became the varsity coach at Bradley Barberian High School for three years, the head coach. And that ended in 2004. Okay. And uh, so that's how, I hope I answered your question. That's no, how you my, did. Yeah. yeah, how, yeah. how it started and how it, it, it evolved. So from it, 2004 then, where did, did you continue to, or did yeah. you take a break? I, I, off and on, because again, business and children. Sure. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, but at that point, Jake, I thought if I'm going to coach, I loved it. I'm going to per, be, be the best coach I can ever be. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but, and, and I, uh, I really relate. I found out that I read, God's given me this gift that 
I relate really good to young people. They relate really good to me. And I've always been a coach at my and mentor at a church and at uh, my your restaurants. My restaurant. Yeah. But I didn't have the opportunity with uh, sports and let alone with the sport that I love, soccer. And I thought I can inspire lives and I can inspire them in all aspects of their lives and um, influence people and give back through my passion, right? But if I'm going to do that, I'm going to be the best that I can be at it. And when I started, I made some mistakes in coaching, you know, uh, as anyone does when they're first starting out. Absolutely. Something. <laughs> absolutely. I made some mistakes, things that I could, do, uh, not life-changing mistakes that think I look back and I say, I could do that. I could do much better than that. You know? So, because my, my uh, philosophy or drive has always be, been and is, I will never be as good as I want to be because I always want to be better. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just constant. Constant thing. And just, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I want to be the best husband, best. I want to be a better husband, better dad, Yesterday. better boss, better co coach, better friend than I was the day before. Because if you don't do that, you're just like, you can get stagnant. You know, I, I, I need that drive. So I decided I want to be the best coach. And if, to do that, I want to get education and and I want to get certifications and you get licenses and, uh, and those are not easy to, to come by. I mean, you have to work hard to achieve a license. So through the United Soccer Coaches Association, back then it was NC, NSCAA, I um, did a lot of work and went to a lot of uh, diploma courses and ended up getting their premier diploma, which is the highest diploma, coaching diploma they offer in the United States. And I kept, uh, I coached uh, rec at that point, and then I coached in the, the local club here um, briefly. And then in, 19, in 2017, Ted Peterson, I don't know if you know Ted. Yes, Ted was on the podcast not too long ago. Oh, he Such did? a wonderful guy. Ted is an amazing guy. So we're yeah. friends. Actually, we met because he he reached out to me when he was the AD at KCC, and he's married to a Lebanese. Uh, his wife is from a Lebanese descent. No way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she wasn't born in Lebanon, but a wonderful wife, and uh, he's married to her. So they wanted to meet me and my wife, and we became friends. So he reached out to me in... 2017. And he said, look, you know, we want to start a soccer program in moments. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm busy with my restaurants. I'm, I've got, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And the idea though. Uh, you couldn't help yourself. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I was sitting in my family room talking to my wife that evening. And I said, you know, how often is anybody afforded the opportunity to start something they love from nothing in a small town. We both decided not many. So I said no at first, but then, you know, I had that uh, moment at that in, the, in my family room. I thought, so I contacted Ted and I said, are you still looking for a coach? He said, yes, I said, I'm in. And that was it. And we, him and I, you know, we, we got the field going with the help of Van Droon and obviously funds from Van Droon and we built a built a beautiful field in Moments, a natural grass field. And then I started going there and I love that community, Jake. The parents were very appreciative. The players, the kids were very, very appreciative. And we started that. I was there for five years. I took a sabbatical this year. I, I stopped, but I was there for five years, started the program from nothing. The, uh, the response I got was amazing. And we won uh, the second, third, and fourth year. We won the conference th three years in a row in our That's second, amazing. third, and fourth year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah. 
But most importantly is the relationship that I developed with, with the guys and the parents were very supportive. I still get um, texts all the time, even from kids who graduated, players who graduated three or four years ago and um, just random kids um, saying hello or just reaching out for some advice, you know, saying, coach, you helped change my life. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that to say that there's a lot to, there's a lot to coaching, you know, a lot more rewards than the, the winning. And it's, I'm very, it's about building relationships. It's about inspiring and influencing kids in, in the positive, uh, or players in a positive way. Those are the things that make me, right now I'm not at moments, that make me miss moments. But Yeah, but the reason you're not at moments right now is a pretty big reason. Let's get into that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to, first of all, I needed a little bit of a break to focus a little bit back on the business. It's been a very challenging few years for any business, correct? You know, yes. <laughs> through, through COVID and That's whatever. That's an understatement. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 And it was very challenging, and thank God I have a great staff that we not only survived it, but we we did well through it. But also thanks to this community too. So, um, but I needed to to take a little bit of time and just recharge and focus on the business a little bit. But again, also I needed to write the next chapter of my coaching journey, and um, and and basically is is to is to coach at a higher level at some point, okay? Um, so, and I think you're referring to my um, UEFA license. Yes, so, yeah. yeah, so you now, do you now have a license to coach in Europe, yes. right? Yes. And how in the world did you obtain that or how did you decide to go for that? G great question. So remember that I said if I, if I'm going to be a coach or whatever, yeah. I want to be the best that I can yeah, be. Yeah, you're going all the way yeah, or the you're going home, yeah. yeah. So I got this premier diploma here from the U.S. and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking for another challenge. And I, and, and European soccer is is the top. Yes. Okay, top level. And more so, England, the United Kingdom is the top. So I contacted, made some contact, contacted some people in, in, um, in the U.K. and I realized that Scotland you can get a UEFA, European uh, Union um, uh, coaching, uh, Football Association coaching license, which is very, very prestigious and very educational and helpful. You can get it through Scotland, even if you are, you don't live in Europe, right? It's, it's not easy to get into, but you can, it's possible. You cannot get that license here in the United States. You have to get it from a European country. And very few offer it to foreigners, okay? If people are not from that country, Scotland, happens to do so. So I send them an email and tell them, hey, you know, I want to be in Europe, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't live without me, you know, right? <laughs> so they turn me down. They say, oh, well, uh, sorry, but we have a big demand. We're offering it first to the Scottish people and there's a big demand on it. That was in 2019. So I thought to myself, wait a minute. I'm not going away. Yeah, you, you know? got to find a way to, to get in there. To get in. So... I send them another email and I send them some credentials and things like this and letter why I want to be there. And I basically bugged them. I did what here in America we do. And I took a chance. I thought to myself, I don't know the Scottish culture. I'm, I don't know the British culture. Am I going to annoy them here? It's the opposite. Yes, it is. If you're annoyed by an applicant, of course, in the right way, you think, well, you know what? I better pay attention. 
right? Because yeah. they wanted bad enough. At least that's how I look at my applicants. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I took a chance and I heard back from them and I got in. I got into, because of my credentials here with the US, I was able to skip about three levels and apply for the UEFA B license, okay? And we ended up doing that through COVID because COVID hit right after I applied and we did a lot of things online, numerous assignments, about spent many days and 30, up to like 30 assignments. And I was doing that as I was running the business, obviously. So I would start from five o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night to be able to do everything good. And I was able to finally go there and we went there to Scotland back in November and we were, I was there for nine days and we did our practical coaching on, um, on the field. And then I came back and you tape, uh, you videotape an assessment, basically a coaching session and you send it to them and they assess you on that. And after all these assignments, all this, after two years, I got my, my B license. So, so which means you can now teach, I, it's not any team, is it? Or it's no, just a certain- I can, I can coach at the youth level. So um, like up to, I believe 18 years old in the European and any for any professional football club, okay, in Europe. Okay, especially in Scotland or in England, any football club in Europe. And then, but now I applied for my A license. So, um, and the A license will allow you to be an assistant coach at the professional level in Europe. So hopefully if I get into this or when I get into this A license and achieve it, the only other license above that would be pro license. So you can coach <laughs> the highest team. In well, that. knowing just the little bit that I've learned about you today, you're going to eventually go to, for that pro license. <laughs> if, if it's God's, yes, you're right. Like, <laughs> but if it's God's, if it's God's willing and the, uh, the opportunity is afforded to me, I, I would like to do, what am I going to do with it? I don't know. I was going to say, is it just the fact that you can say, hey, I have these license or? are you actually going to put them to work? I would love to put them to work, but I, I, let's back up a little bit. The process of, div, of getting them, the process of, of achieving them or going through them is, is very satisfying and it's amazing. And you learn from very high level coaches alongside of other coaches. By the way, when I was there in Scotland, during that period, there was 29 of us coaches that are going through that course. I was the only one from the U.S. So, I mean, that feels very special, doesn't it? You know, Very, so, very special. Yeah. And then you're talking to a lot of wonderful people from all over the world, but mostly we're Scottish at that point. So they're wonderful people. And um, I, it's funny because I had to listen to a few podcasts here, f Scottish podcasts, because I wanted to get, get used to the accent. But you get used to it a little bit, and and they they're very aware of it. They're aware of it actually. I didn't know that they were aware of it, but they <laughs> they actually make fun of it. Oh yeah, all the time. And when they talk to each other, they talk at a different different way than when they talk to you. They slow down, and no, they're they're mindful of that. So I love that experience. Going to, back to what am I going to do with it? I don't know with the license, but the process is amazing. It teaches you a lot. It's a great experience. Plus, yeah, at some point, if I have the opportunity, whether here, I mean, it'd be, I, I love this community, you know, or whether here in the States or something, it's it's there. And who knows what what I will do with it. It'll, yeah. be, it'll be great to take a, a team that hasn't done anything from lower levels 
And that would be kind of like a dream thing, like a movie, right? Take them and just make something out of nothing and, and win some trophies. That would be awesome. It'll be kind of, that's my hobby. I don't golf, uh, you know. It's so, all about soccer, football. Yeah. yeah. And inspire lives uh, while, while I'm doing it. So. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank and you. Uh, I hope you're able to do something with that. And if, if not, it's just cool that you can say, hey, I'm, I've got my A license or my pro license to, right, to right. coach in Europe. And it's that satisfaction because it makes you a better person. It makes sure. you a better, you know, you go, you learn a lot and it's an experience. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, if, and it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, so I <laughs> yeah. like that part. Yeah. You know, I like the fact that it's not easy. So. Right. That's such an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I don't know if there's anything new going on with Subway or Taco John's that you want to mention or, you know, I, I don't know what you want to leave with just because yeah. your story is so amazing and there's so many things we didn't even get to. Right. But... um yeah. What well, would you like to leave with? Well, uh, again, I, I, I love what I do. And as far as soccer is concerned, I love winning. I love, um, I love the game. It's uh, what I want to leave with is, again, what I, what I said earlier about this country and about life in general, is that if you come here, whether you're born here or you come here from another country, if you work hard and you're honest and you treat people right and you're grateful for what you have and and you're not selfish, you know, you're you're uh, give back. Like in my businesses, I believe in a win-win-win situation. You know, you've heard of win-win, but I le- believe in win-win-win, meaning the company has to win. It has to be profitable. Otherwise, it will not survive. And the guest has to win and the employees have to win. And that, if that formula, if one is not winning, it doesn't work. Just like in a marriage or in a relationship or in a contract, if it's only fair to one, not the other, that's not going to survive for a long period of time. So, so these things, you know, have have really guided me through throughout my life. And but having talked about business, having talked about the experience, having talked about soccer and, and many things. The most important thing, again, to me is it still remains my family. I mean, that's if I fail at anything in life, my biggest success has been my family, my wife and my four children, because they're wonderful. And I don't mean about their achievements, their whatever they achieved in college or in. You mean uh, their character? Yes, I mean their character, you know. So that's my biggest pride and joy is that they're healthy and happy and safe. And I pray all the time for God to keep them that way. And they have wonderful, significant others. Three of them are married, wonderful, significant others. And, and one has a, a, uh, a girlfriend that is wonderful also, you know. So, so I, I think that to me, nothing else matters. As long as they're fine, that's I'm happy. Everything else we can take care of. It can take care of itself. Well, it's a good reminder. Yeah. It's it's refreshing to hear you say it. It's a good reminder to myself just to keep that in mind for my own family because I feel like we get sidetracked with all those other things going on. The yeah. the business and the the coaching and whatever it is. We get wrapped up in that stuff and realize, well, at the end of the day, what matters? Exactly it's, right. It's family, like you said. And it's not it's not easy not to get wrapped in it, up in it. You know, when you when things are going good or when things are challenging, you you're involved. You want to see, okay, I want to keep it this good, you know, materially or or profitably or sales, or I I want to fix it. Or like in in sports, you get 
if, if you want to do good, you get consumed by the idea of what, how I can make it better. And that can derail you from what's important in life, you know? And it's, it's not just like one once said, I read that a while back and I want to paraphrase it here properly. It's uh, not the possessions that you have. It's how your kids describe you to another person when you're not around. I'm not quoting that right, but uh, you get the gist of that. I do. So, yeah. Well, Alex Habib, thank you so much well, for I, your time. Yeah, my turn to make a comment on you too, oh, though, Jake. But no. again, again, yes, again, uh, now don't try to be humble. Okay? No. <laughs> because you're good at it. Uh, not, but, uh, I don't know if I'm, no, I'm good I, at I, it. I, I, lo- I honestly love the, the type of person you are because you seem very genuine. You're on the air, like I said a little bit earlier in, the, in this uh session in this podcast that your positivity and welcoming of people and caring comes through there. Uh, that's one. Number two, you do an excellent job and just as being on the air. So I really enjoy you. I enjoy it. And just sitting here with you was kind of fun. You know? <laughs> it, was it was fun. Just having a chat. So Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know I did. Yeah. So I could do this all day long, honestly. <laughs> and that's another reason why I love hosting this podcast is yeah. just because I'm naturally just curious about the people I talk to or the subjects we talk about. Yeah. And I want to spread the positivity of the community. Yeah. And you're good at it too. So, oh, well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the honor is all mine. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Dawn Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Carrie O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Carl Earps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com, click on the patron tab, and if you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes, video versions of select episodes, podcast merch, discounts on special events, and so much more. Your monthly pledge is truly appreciated and our monthly goal right now is to reach $400 per month. Now we're about 37% away from reaching that goal so please sign up for the patron program today at kankakeepodcast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. Daniel Bishop